No my hi to my welcome to More Than Theology, the Pathways podcast. I'm Richard Goodwin, and today our guest is Brian Goodwin. And uh, Brian has done a lot of things in his lifetime. He has been a missionary. He's been a pastor both here in New Zealand and in Australia and in Brazil where he was a missionary. Uh, he was also a principal of a Bible college called GLOW. And um, GLOW, along with another Bible college, Assembly Bible School, joined forces and became Pathways. So he has that historic connection with us. Um, But also, and I think probably most relevantly for this podcast, uh, Brian is my dad. It's actually really unnatural for me to um, call him Brian, Uh, so I'll just be calling him dad. Um, But dad, I wanted to pull dad in in this podcast because we've seen a lot of high-profile church leaders over recent years um, have sort of pretty spectacular falls from grace Um, and we find uh, often in those instances we're disappointed because people that maybe we'd looked up to people that we thought had um, exceptional character um, weren't who they appeared to be um, in the pulpit or on our computer screens or or however we were um, we were connected with them and uh, well with my dad as you can understand I know him really well he's a guy who has been in leadership he's a preacher and a bible teacher Um, But having been a son my whole life, funnily enough, um, I actually know too that he is, uh, there's a lot of integrity in who he is. Who you see in the pulpit is who you get at home, for example. And so that really just made me want to talk to dad and pick his brains a little bit about how do you develop character? And we have seen in recent years that there's a bit of short supply in a lot of our leaders and so on and character. And it's obviously a really important part of following Christ. Um, and so, Dad, thanks for coming in to talk about this topic. Well, thanks, Richard. And thanks for the comments. We appreciate it. Yeah, Thank nice. you. But I want to say that we're all under construction all the time. Mm. No one is perfect. But I want to share some things that maybe have been helpful to me. But um, thinking about my life... Mm. And so on. I think one of the big advantages that I had was that my parents, who came to Christ in their mature years, they never lost a real passion for the gospel. Mm. They were always talking about it. They were always inviting people to hear the gospel. And brought up in that environment of enthusiasm was a big thing. And in our family, our heroes were not film stars. Mm. They weren't singers. They were preachers and they were missionaries and they were Bible teachers. Mm. And so I was brought up in that environment where we looked up to men and women of God. Mm. And I think that was a big advantage. And, of course, in all these things, what we're learning, we don't realize we're learning. Mm. And the other side of it is what we're teaching, we don't know we're teaching. Mm. But when I was thinking about it, and thinking particularly of our interest in missions, which was with us for a long, long time, and it still is, but at a lower degree because of lesser involvement, I remember I was 11 years old and I was going to the intermediate school in Palmerston North. And a missionary to the Aboriginals of Australia came to our school. It was Friday Assembly. It was a secular school, state school. But for some reason, they invited this missionary. And somehow, my heart caught fire. Mm. And for two years, I was about 11. Mm. And for two years after that, every night, I would pray, Lord, please make me a missionary to the Aboriginals. Mm. You know, and they just, I did that for a couple of years. You know, it just stayed with me for a long time. And I even had a missionary strategy, and it went like this. I had to have a Land Rover, 
you know. And I'd go out on Monday morning and I'd discover a tribe. Mm. I'd evangelize them. And then on Sunday morning, we'd have communion, or as we used to call it, the Lord's Supper. And having discipled them that week, I'd go and find another tribe on the Monday morning, and that would be my life. Mm. And I thought, yeah, that would be cool, man. Mm -hmm. I'd love to do that. Mm. So even though we look back now and I was just a little boy, mm. God lit a fire in my heart. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there's no credit to me at all. It's all God's goodness. But there's an, I can't ever remember a time when I've never wanted to serve God. Mm. You know, you hear much more ad adventurous stories mm. about people who sow wild oats and then they mm. come back to the Lord. And we praise God when that happens, when mm. they come back. But I've never had that. I've mm. never had the desire to do that. You know, I've just wanted to serve the Lord. And mm. it may sound unexciting for some, mm. but for me, that's been my life, mm. you know. So that was a spark. And I was always interested in missions. And I wanted to become a missionary. I had a number of things that I wanted to see in my life. Mm. I identified three of them and they've all been fulfilled you know mm, mm. and they were spiritually or some kind domestically based mm. another big thing was when i was engaged to your mum mm. my wife yeah. <laughs> um it was the 16th of april 1966 and we heard about this newfangled idea called short-term missions yeah. and in those days it was thought of as being almost heretical, mm. because when you went to the mission field, you stayed there till you died, mm. you know. And this whole idea of going for a limited period of time and coming back, that appealed to me because I could mm. see it was biblical mm. and thought, well, there are so many advantages in that. So yeah. we heard about this man called Colin Tilsley visiting New Zealand. So I went to Martin where Gwen was living and brought up, and we went across to Whanganui. Mm. We were invited to have supper with Colin Tilsley. And we expressed to him that we were praying about missions. You know, he said, well, would you like to go to Hong Kong? I said, no, interest in South America. I said, we don't have any plans for South America, but um, would, oh, we'll think about it. Mm. About two weeks later, we, surprise, surprise, we got a letter from him saying, we're planning that what they call a crusade. Mm. We're, have, we're having a crusade to South America. Would you be interested? <laughs> But the interesting thing is you meet these people and it's a God thing, mm. you know, and it totally changes your life. And so up till the present time, that has been a big factor. So brought up in that environment where preachers mm. and women and men of God mm. were your heroes, that has a big influence on your life, mm. you know. Mm. Um, so that's a brief explanation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. We might return to that. So, I mean, that idea of kind of um, role models and the people sure. that surround you. Um, you've given us a little bit of insight into your background. I was wondering if you could just flesh it out a little bit with your own sort of road to character. And I, I think one way of thinking about this is, you know, you described that that um, fire that was lit in you even as a, as a kid. And there are a lot of people who are drawn to ministry for one way one reason or another but there's this very unglamorous work that goes on just in the day-to-day -day life of of character development um it's often not something we're consciously doing but it's going on all the time and one thing i found really interesting is a book i read a few years ago called the road to character by um david brooks um and and he in it he takes uh well-known people and writes sort of chapter long almost um biographies but specifically focusing on how they became the kinds of people they became, the, how their character developed. So in a nutshell, um, for you, what has been your sort of road to character? 
Well, really, I haven't sort of thought it through in any great depth, but there are a number of things. I think if I had to identify one thing, Mm. it would be what I call self-management. Sometimes we talk about self-control, and very similar to that is self-discipline. And I call it self-management. And that is not doing what you know you shouldn't do and doing what you know you should do. Some years ago, I was at the library in Cambridge and they had a listener magazine on the shelf. And the front cover had self-control, the key to success. Mm. And quite honestly, that's true not only in the management world and that kind of business world, but it's also true in the Christian world. And when you think about it and you do a little bit of research, it's amazing how often in the New Testament it talks about self-control. Sure, yeah. You know, and for example, Titus chapter 2, go through there, everybody basically is told, be self-controlled. And it has a lot of benefits. Mm. It helps you to keep a structured life together Mm. and all kinds of things. Mm. So I think that would be the one thing that I think, and I don't claim perfection because I'm not perfect. Mm. I'm human. But if one thing that's helped me, it's this matter of just doing what I should and not doing what I shouldn't, basically. Mm. Yeah. And that that kind of strikes me as somewhat countercultural, the idea of self-control, because I suppose we hear a lot of emphasis put on um, expressing yourself and Mm. there's sort of the individual and you just um, speak your mind and, and, you know, you do you, as, as we sometimes say. And the idea of actually we might have some impulses that actually need to be reined in and managed, as you said, is a little bit um, against the grain of how we're often taught to to sort of think. Um, so I, do you have any kind of thoughts or tips about how to be self-controlled and not sort of just give into this impulse to just do whatever you think, feel mm-hmm. at a time? Well, I think undergirding it all mm. is the fact you want to please the Lord. Mm. And as Bible readers... We've got a pretty good idea what displeases him, to use that kind of language, and what pleases him. And when you go in the New Testament particularly, you find that the heroes of the New Testament, they're always talking about pleasing the Lord. Mm. Twice the Apostle Paul talks about, uses a Greek word which means to be ambitious. Mm. One of them is to be ambitious to preach Christ where he's never been preached. And the other use of it is to actually please the Lord. Mm. We make it our ambition to please him. And I think that's one of the things that's really important. So you're not trying to think of what kind of person do I want to be? Just say, I want to please the Lord. Mm. Yeah, I don't want sure. to displease him. Yeah. You know. mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, one thing I've thought a little bit about in regards to this topic is the role of suffering. And it's you know obviously a really um, prominent theme in, in the Bible is the role of suffering in developing our character. But it also strikes me that uh, suffering isn't an automatic uh, pass towards godly character. Um, suffering somewhat inevitable. Uh, everyone suffers, but not everyone develops the kind of character we're talking about. So there must be something about how we respond to suffering that um, leads to better, stronger, uh, more Christ-like character. So do you have any insight into what that might be and how we should respond to suffering so that we actually grow and become better and not bitter? 
I'd rather not suffer than suffer. Sure. You know, yeah, and yeah. I think that's true of everyone. Yeah. That's pretty trite, that mm. kind of statement. But the fact remains that it's an age-old question, isn't it? You don't even have a question if you don't believe in a loving God mm. who's interested in you. Okay. Yep. Yep. If you think we're the result of chance, mm. it doesn't even become a question. Mm. But when you believe there is a God who loves you, then you have to think it through. One of the interesting things is the people who usually are tripped up by this kind of objection is not the believer who's suffering, not normally. Mm. It's the observer, not the Christian. And Christians have the faith that everything has a reason, that these things don't happen by chance, and we don't always find the reason, mm. but we but we have the faith to believe that God is doing something in my life. There's no simple and glib answer, and I'm the last person who tried to come up with some kind of flippant mm. kind of answer because mm. there's none. Mm. But we hold on to the fact, and as you know, go to Job, which is possibly the oldest book in the Bible to be written, maybe in history, we don't know that bit. But an old, old book, and that's the big underlying thing. Why did Job suffer? He was a good man. Mm. Why did he suffer? And then you go to the New Testament and you get First um, Peter, for example. And it's something that people have thought about. But we have the faith, as I said, that there's a purpose in it. And we don't always know what that purpose is, but we have that faith. Mm. 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 One area of character that I wanted to ask you about um because I'm curious, having observed you over the years, and I need to set this up a little bit, but it kind of really comes back to when I became a dad because um, I had always been a reasonably relaxed kind of person. I would have thought reasonably unflappable. Um, and then when I became a dad, I found that I did have a kind of a temper and um, I felt like there was some anger there or, or I had, didn't have the ability to control anger as, as well as I thought maybe I, I had in the past. And it's perhaps just that my buttons hadn't been pushed quite the same way that, um, you know, parents will know only, only a kid can. Um, and so at, at one point my wife, um, you know, pointed this out to me and I thought about how I'd been reacting when I was angry um, and with a disobedient toddler or whatever it was at the time. And uh, I realized that part of the reason why I didn't want to become an angry kind of person or, or a sort of a, a raging father um, was because I'd seen the opposite in you, that I'd never seen you lose your cool. Um, I'd never seen you um, really lose your temper. And I'm just kind of curious about that. That was important to me as I sort of went on a bit of a journey of, learning to control and manage anger as a dad and it's hopefully taught me to be more calm and and relaxed and um yeah slow to anger um but yeah for you is that something you sort of had to work on or is it just sort of you're just always been that way can you just talk a little bit about you know anger specifically yeah well anger of course it covers a lot of emotions Mm. but usually we think of losing your temper or rage Mm. But anger can manifest itself, for example, in feeling hurt, feeling resentful. Mm. And you know that in New Testament Greek, there are two basic words for anger. There's orge, which means 
a kind of shotgun kind of anger and then mm. it's over. Mm. And there's that simmering, mm. long-lasting, okay. burning thermos. Uh, I called. didn't know that, but that's yeah. good. <laughs> and that's one anger that goes on and on. Okay, yeah. But I think mm. what you're talking about mm. and what we're thinking about is the sort of losing your call, cool, yeah. getting angry, mm. you know. Mm. And there's no credit to anyone mm. if... They don't lose their call, you know. Mm, mm. But I would say it's the old debate, isn't it? Is it nature mm. or is it nurture? Mm. By nature, I guess I am fairly phlegmatic, mm. I think, is a word that mm. they use. Mm-hmm. I don't get overly excited, don't mm. get overly depressed. Mm. Pretty boring, really. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's just that's the nature bit. Yeah. Then there's the nurture. Yeah. And thinking of my parents... Before they became Christian, my mother would swear a lot. Mm. She was worldly. Yeah. Her and my dad's, cha- they changed. Mm. And so even though I was in the home until I got married at 25, mm. basically I never heard them raise their voice against each oh, other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was no violence in mm. the home. They would never strike each other. Mm. That sometimes give us a bit of a biff. Mm. <laughs> they wouldn't do it to themselves. Right. And, of course, you learn how to express anger by what you see. Yeah. Yep. You know. Mm. So there's, is it nature? Is it nurture? But I think there's something else which is really important, and it brings us back to self-management. Mm. And that is, I've never wanted to be angry. Mm. I've never wanted to be a person who's got this kind of rage mm. temperament that has no attraction mm. to me. Just the opposite. Yeah. I don't want to be like that. Yeah. You know. So I think they are this a combination, it's a big package mm. and there are probably other things as well. Mm. Um something that I've also found because we all get angry. I mean, our Lord got angry. Sure, yeah. Mm. You know, and a description of God himself is that he gets angry. Mm. It's righteous. And it's different. Sure. But I think a key to it is putting as much space as you can between the provocation and the response. Mm. As James says, James chapter one, and that is slow to anger. Right. You know, mm. and sometimes when I've been speaking on the subject, I give this illustration that sometimes if you're provoked, you count up to 10. Right. You know, mm. So you provoke me, mm. one, two, three, mm. four, five, six, you know, yeah, like yeah. that. And if you're very angry, you count up to 100, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah. And Martin Luther, the reformer, he said, if you're provoked, say the Lord's Prayer before you respond. So, you know, <laughs> you make me angry. Yeah, yeah. Our Father, our child in heaven, hallowed be thy name, our kingdom come, you know. <laughs> and I don't think it's a good motivation for prayer, but there's a certain principle there, and yeah, that sure. is, just get as much space as you can. Yeah, yeah. Because if you react immediately without that space, mm. you may react in a very ungodly mm, way. Mm. And you can lose your testimony. Mm. And you can lose the respect of other people mm. in an instant of time. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was someone who came to Billy Sunday. He was a well-known evangelist 100 years ago. Mm. And she said, Billy, my problem is that I've got a bad temper. Mm. And then she was embarrassed by what she said. And she said, but it's over in a second. Mm. He said, so's a shotgun. Mm. You know, and a lot of damage can be done in a short period of time. So the more constraint you bring into it. So the problem really is not anger. Mm. The problem is undisciplined anger. Anger can actually be motivational. If I'm angry in seeing injustice, that can be a good motivation. You know, Mm. but very often we say, well, this is righteous anger. Mm. If my child spills 
milk on the floor and I get angry, is that righteous anger? Mm. Would it make God angry? Mm. Righteous anger is anger that makes God angry, mm. you know. Yeah. So there's a whole lot of things in it, but it's not wrong to be angry. Mm. But as Christians who want to please the Lord, mm. we need to seek the Spirit's aid mm. to express it in a way that brings glory to God. Yeah, and so it almost occurs to me as you're saying that there's there's a kind of a couple of layers, or at least a couple, because on the one hand you've got the sort of self-management thing, which is, you know, maybe a, a technique of, of taking time before you respond um, so that you don't respond in anger. But beneath that, you need to have the desire, and something you've touched on, you don't want to be that kind of person. Mm. And I think that maybe returns us to this point that... Um, you touched on earlier which is just the role of role models and again to bring it back to my experience of of feeling like I was not um, controlling my anger as a dad very well um, you know for me when that was reflected back to me by my wife part of my thought process there was going actually I this is not the kind of person I want to be Mm -hmm. and part of that was your role modeling as well as maybe some others in my life and so Maybe talk a little bit about um, the role of role models. Um, maybe there have been people that have been role models to you. Maybe there's some um, advice you have about um, getting role models if we don't already have them in our lives. It's a God thing, really, mm. you know. But one thing that you can do if you want to grow in godliness is get close to somebody you admire as a woman or a man of God. It was Thomas Chalmers who said, if you want to grow in holiness, get close to a person who models the kind of person you want to be. Mm. See how he or she Mm -hmm. uh, reacts to situations. Get close to them. And, of course, you go to the New Testament and you find people like Titus and Timothy and others, and they're very close to Paul. And by looking at how he reacts and acts, they get a pretty good idea mm. of how they ought to do it. Mm. You know, so it's, it's first of all, if God brings people like that into your life that you really look up to, learn as much as you can from them. Mm. And if there's no obvious person Find someone in your church that you really look up to and say, that's the kind of woman, that's the kind of man I want to be, Mm. and say, would you mind spending time with me maybe once a month and just sharing your life with me? So you seek out a mentor, and I think that could be helpful. Mm, mm, mm. I thought maybe um, we could talk a little bit about leadership specifically. Um, There's a lot of people in our audience who um, perhaps are not. Um, leaders or don't consider themselves leaders and of course character is something that is important to all of us but maybe in the light of just what I said earlier about the number of high profile leaders who have had these various scandals where you realize oh they didn't have the kind of character the godly character that maybe they they portray um, in in their sort of um, public ministry Um, so just thinking a little bit about those that are in leadership or those that maybe will be in leadership um, what does it take for a leader to sort of um, stay out of trouble, if you like? And I have heard mm. you say before, it's I might get this wrong, but I think you've said something along the lines of it's easier to stay out of trouble than get out of trouble. That's so true. what is a leader, how does a leader stay out of trouble, if we're going to use that kind of phrase? How does a leader have mm. the kind of character that will ensure that they don't um, end up becoming a domineering leader or exploitative or embroiled in some sort of scandal? Sure. Mm. 
I think the secret is to take care of your secret world. Okay, yep. Some time ago I wrote a book, and it's called Your Secret World, and it's based on the statement of our Lord Jesus who said, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. And while I'd heard a lot of people refer to that verse, or verses you find them in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, while I've heard a lot of people talk about it, I never heard anyone explain what it actually means. Mm. And so I tried to do some kind of application of it and mm. interpretation of it. And I still think that's where it is. It's in your secret world. And by that, I mean this. You, my son, but you don't know what goes on in my secret world. You don't know what goes on in my mind. Sure. You know, I could be just a total hypocrite. Mm. You don't know it. It's my secret world. Mm. Do I love God with all my heart? You don't know. Mm. And I don't know if you do. Mm. It's your secret world. Mm. And your heart, with your soul. And the word soul is used in three different ways in the Bible. And I concentrated on the fact that the soul is the center of your emotions. For example, you actually find, why are you cast down, oh, my soul? Mm, you know, yeah, yeah. it's your center of sentient feeling yeah, and yeah. so on. And so you take control of it. And that covers all kinds of things, things that we've touched upon before, things like anger, mm. disappointment, mm. frustration, all that kind of thing. And to love God in those areas, you bring it to the Lord and you say, Lord, please help me. Mm. I want my reaction and my actions at this time to bring glory to you. And so it is with your mind. You bring your mind into subjection to the Holy Spirit of God and you use it to be as academically strong as you can be. So you love him with your mind. Mm. And that's your secret world because mm. you don't know what's going on in my mind. I don't know what's going on in your mind. Mm. It's our secret world. Mm. But it shows itself in how we respond to yeah. other people. Yeah. And you love God with your strength. Mm. So you reach out like a good Samaritan to the person whose life is battered mm. and rejected by people. Mm. But you love that person because you love God. So you love your neighbor as yourself. You see, so I think it's a matter of keeping your commitment alive. Mm. And even though I'm, yeah, I'm an old man now, and I've been on this pathway a long time, mm. I, I wouldn't say it's not every week, but reasonably regularly, I recommit myself to the Lord. Mm. And I say, Lord, all that I am is yours. Yep. These hands are yours. This yep. mind is yours. All that I am, please use me. Mm. You know, and so you keep your com uh, your commitment to Christ alive because if you don't, you'll fail. Yeah. And as far as leaders go, it's always important to remember that when a leader fails, it's not a victimless sin. Sure. You yeah. drag people down with mm. you. Mm. When uh, and I was in leadership as principal, director, pastor, and so on, mm. for a long, long time, over 40 years. Mm. And sometimes I would say to the staff, it wasn't, I wasn't beating a drum all the time, but mm. trying to help them, I would say things like this. If you're counseling someone over a period of time and you find yourself looking forward to those sessions, pass the case over to someone else. Mm. If you're counseling someone, a woman, Mm. In my case, mm. leave the door ajar. Mm. 
This never happened to me. Mm. But if someone hits on you, mm. go and tell a colleague straight away. In other True, words, yeah. you take certain precautions. Mm. But best of all, don't put yourself in a situation where people can misconstrue and things can get out of control. Mm. And things do. Mm. And again, you say, what pleases the Lord? I, I actually want to please the Lord. Mm. I don't want to look back on my life and be ashamed of a big hunk of it. Mm. Now, everybody, including myself, I look back and I get somewhat embarrassed about mm, some mm, things mm. that happened or said. But the Lord preserves us. Many years ago, I was in Wellington. I was a student in those days. And I went along to hear a man preach. And he said, I can't tell you a story of great transformation and my conversion, but I can tell you a story of preservation. And the Lord preserves us. And this, I say the Lord mm. preserves us. Mm. It, it, that's not exceptional. That's not strange. That's how it ought to be, isn't mm. it? So there's no personal credit in it. It's mm. just that's how the Lord is. Yeah. And if you want to please him, he'll honor that. And you know the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and a whole lot of other things yeah. besides. You know? And so you seek to cultivate these things. Mm. An important thing, too, is when you personally fail in things, mm. it doesn't make you a failure. Mm. You get up and you start again, you confess and you start again, yeah. you know. Just yesterday's preaching was a final in a series on Samson, mm -hmm. which I called A Life of Rough Faith. And you come to the final scene and he, pull, he brings the house down, yeah. literally, you know. <laughs> but the thing about Samson is you come there and he's an anti-hero mm. in many ways. He's the kind of person you don't want to be. I don't want to kill a thousand people yeah, sure. in one blow yeah. with the jawbone of an yeah. ass, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to kill 3,000 people yeah. like Twin Towers yeah, yeah. when I die. Yeah. So he's a bit of an anti-hero. But this is the thing about Samson. Yeah. He changed. Mm. And when you come to the end of his life, he's different. He's not that swashbuckling kind of mm. person he was who could take on everyone. Mm. And his long hair, which is a sign of his commitment to Christ, it's long again. Mm. His commitment mm. is there again. You know. Yeah. And as you lead up to that story, it's quite interesting. At least I think it's interesting yeah, it because it has a very ominous statement. His hair began to grow. <laughs> you know. And for yeah. all of us. Yeah. Our commitment can be regained. Yeah. And that's one of the wonderful things. We're not the people we want to be. By God's grace, if we've established some kind of testimony, that's mm. good. And mm. that shouldn't be exceptional, mm. you mm. know. Mm. But it's just a matter of doing what you want. You know what pleases the Lord. And I think when you've been reading the Bible for a year, mm. maybe less, mm. you've got a pretty good idea what God yeah, wants. Sure. Yeah, sure. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And as a leader, you don't want to fail the Lord by failing mm. God's people. Mm. And going back to this matter, as I said before, your secret world, mm. the best way to show love for God mm. is by showing love to people. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, and it's not a matter of words. It's just a matter of showing love to people, mm, mm, looking mm, after them, mm. loving them as much as you love yourself, which means, of course, is if you're hurting, you, look, you do something about that hurt and you see your neighbor hurting, you do something about that hurt because you already love yourself, mm. love your neighbor like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a big subject, mm. but the whole idea of character development, it's lifelong. Mm. And I've got a little expression and I don't know if it's a real word, but it's Demature, you can demature. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. There are times when maybe you're a young person mm. and you are on fire for God, mm. but now you're 40 
or 50 mm. <laughs> or, or whatever it is, you find I'm not as keen for God as I was. Mm. And it's interesting, John, called St. John, mm. in his first epistle, he says, I've written to you young men because you're strong. Yeah, yeah. And the word of God abides in you. Mm. And you have overcome the wicked one. doesn't say that to old people. Mm. It says it to young people. And it's basically young people who are pushing up the barriers, mm. the limits of God's kingdom. Mm. Mm. You know. And I would say to all young people, including yourself, give yourself totally to God. It's the best way to live. Mm. So when you come towards the end of your life, you say, Lord, I've failed you many times and I'm not the person that I should be mm. i'm under construction but i want to use you i want you to use me until my very last breath mm. so there's a lifelong commitment so it's not a matter of trying to get plaudits mm. or people to up, give you applause for what you do that's mm. not part of it you just want to please the lord mm. and i think that's the secret yeah really oh thanks dad um, that's great. That's really helpful. Um, you mentioned a couple of times your book, Your Secret World. And is there a place that people can get that book? There certainly is. <laughs> <laughs> you can contact Castle Publishing in Auckland right. uh -huh. or contact me. Yep. And if you want to know the contact, contact you. Yep. you know, Email us. One way or another. Mm -hmm. There was a recent reprinting of it. Mm. And I'm not an entrepreneur. <laughs> I hate selling stuff. So, you know... I'm the worst person for selling that book. <laughs> but at the same time, one thing that's encouraged me is a, it's not an exaggeration to say a lot of people have been in touch with me yeah. and their lives have been helped and yeah. changed. Or, you know, And it's very simple. Just yeah. look after your secret world. Yeah. And that's the secret. Yeah. It was Louis Palau, who's one of my heroes. Mm. I have a number of heroes, by the mm. way, if mm. I got right back. Yeah, yeah. You know, And Louis Palau, mm. who died recently, he was one of my heroes. And he made a very simple statement. He said... The inner life is the secret. Mm. And that's what it is. It's the yeah. inner life. It's mm. not what you do on, from a pulpit. Mm. It's not what you say in a counseling room. It's something else. Yeah. You know, it's your private world. Yeah, yeah. And that's where you remain strong yeah. or otherwise. Yeah, and that's absolutely why I thought you'd be the right person, the right um, guest to have on this. Um, in fact, I was um, thinking about a documentary I watched a few years ago. Uh, documentary about the life of Fred Rogers, or better known as Mr. Rogers, to generations of Americans, who is a you know a well-known um, TV presenter for children's shows, and um, this documentary, and then there was a, a fictionalized movie that came out where Tom Hanks uh, stars as Mr. Rogers, um, made a big splash, and I think part of the reason why was because he was famous for just being a very kind and gentle person. That was his his on-screen persona. And one thing that really struck me about the documentary that I watched was that they interviewed one of his sons, um, and Fred Rogers passed away, but um, they interviewed one of his sons, and the son said that reporters were often coming to him to interview him to get the dirt on his dad because the, mm. the feeling was there's no way that the guy that they see on screen could really be like that. No one could be really that nice. And he mm. said, no, he really was that kind of person um, off camera and at home as he was on camera. Mm. And um, and although, you know, you don't have a, a children's show or anything like that, I, I felt a similar sort of way that, you know, there's you have a public ministry, you're a mm. preacher, teacher, 
but um, but like I said at the beginning, with you, what you see is what you get. So you are that person at home, and so that's why I think it's been really valuable to just get some insight into how we develop character. Thanks, Rich. In our life, yeah. So thanks for being here, Dad. It's been great. Thank, Thank you. Right. you. Yeah. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Kakitiano.